Hello and welcome to another episode of Flaming Pinto's production of Flamey Tape, a show where we delve song by song into the music that means something. I am here with my friend Darren. Hi, friend. <laughs> All right. And my name is Jake. And Darren, right off the top, you wanted to talk a little bit about um, our Boxing Day spectacular episode. Yeah, I, I, I would love to have said something positive, but um, going back and listening to it, um, there's a couple of issues. And one is the fact that the song, The 12 Days of Christmas by Bob and Doug, just won't play within the episode and i've gotten it to work for me in the software that we use to record but when it transferred over to spotify for some odd reason no matter what i did no matter what i tried the song wouldn't play so we certainly apologize for that and we do uh, encourage you to go either into youtube or spotify and listen to the song uh, whether you do that within the episode or before or after um, I think we I think we recommend that people listen to the entire album. Well, frankly. absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing, we've had this glitch before. We hope it never happens again. We're doing everything we can to try and solve it. But there's a little bit of a timing issue. And you're probably sitting there shaking your fist at your iPhone or iPad or wherever you listen to us going, wow, these guys sound stupid. <laughs> um yeah, that's the software that's the problem. Because there's a <laughs> yeah, because there's a slight timing problem, and there's some big gaps of dead air and things like that. Um, so we're doing what we can, and hopefully this episode it doesn't uh, show up again. This is the fun of doing this show remotely via the internet. Um, yeah, using software to make it sound as though we're sitting down and in the same room together. Yeah, and unfortunately, we as much as we'd love to do that, uh, the fact that we've gone back into a COVID-19 related lockdown means that no matter how badly we would love to be sitting together in the same room, we just can't do that. So we're forced to use software and do this remotely. And it's also winter, which I don't think helps the connection. Um, so yeah, hopefully this doesn't happen again we apologize for it and hope you continue to listen right should we leave it at that i think we should good good uh you were talking yesterday about a radio broadcast that you had heard in which people were talking about foods mashup foods yes and there was one that blew my mind the one with the toast i had yes. never heard this and you said not only that did someone mention it as a strange guilty pleasure food that this person raised as something that they do, but um, other callers had called in and said, I do that too. Uh, and there was a chorus of people that were calling in saying the same thing. Yeah, it was weird. Uh, toast and milk or toast and chocolate milk where you would toast a piece of bread. Uh, butter it put, put butter on it and then i'm assuming cut it into strips and somehow either fold it or whatever and, and dip, dip it, it in into... milk or chocolate milk uh, i don't get it I, I can't imagine how that tastes good soggy bread is like 
way down on the list of <laughs> foods that I crave. But you've made it crisp in the toaster. Yeah, and but now it is once again ensogified. Ha- haven't you ever made a, a sandwich and <laughs> uh, on the counter, and somebody before you has either put a drink down or something and left a little ring of of condensation, and so you get that toast a little bit wet, and when you bite into it, you want to vomit because it's <laughs> so disgustingly well, soggy. Even toast. That is a an endearingly strong reaction that you've had to this. However, I'm not an animal, so I use a plate. <laughs> Damn you. Plate. That would solve all my issues. Actually, I don't even eat bread, so that's a problem <laughs> yeah, for me at this point. But yeah. You stopped. A you plate, stopped. huh? <laughs> what is this thing you call Fantastic. I try not to, our dishwasher's currently broken, so the last thing I want to do is make plate, like use plates, because I don't want to make any dirty dishes, because I hate doing dishes. But uh, yeah, we have no choice right now. So, but I'll, I'll take your suggestion and uh, see. This magical. Works. Yeah, plate just with device. regular, I don't eat bread, but I eat rice cakes. Um, my, my current favorite food is an, a, like a plain rice cake with butter and peanut butter on it should try it it's quite tasty why do you need the butter if you're already why don't you shut up (laughs) try it have you tried it i I just i just am trying to wrap my head around it you're already putting a buttery substance on why do you need two of same i guess that's a legitimate question could you go just the peanut butter would that radically change? Well, the you experience? could, but then could you just drink regular milk instead of chocolate milk? I guess it's Does a healthy it substance. Do you notice the butteriness? Why do you have to put chocolate in it? All right, Jesus. Do you notice the butteriness? Yes. All right. That's why I do it. It's, it's so tasty. I'm not trying to start a fight, man. I don't <laughs> Enjoy know. I, your stuff. I've always, uh, I've always enjoyed butter on a lot of stuff, and. The funny thing is, if I have a sandwich, I don't put butter on my bread. Isn't yeah, it's that, a waste of time. Isn't that weird? Yeah, I yeah, I agree. I think it's a waste of time. I'll put mustard or I'll put mayo or, or something like that, but I don't put butter. Margarine. <laughs> I like margarine, too. Remember when that was sweeping the nation? Now it's it's actually getting difficult to find margarine in the, in the dairy case in uh, the supermarket. Are you a margarine guy or a butter guy? No, no, I just am a guy that grew up in the 80s, and I remember a, a wall of plastic tubs Yeah, that oh, was no longer part of the experience of shopping. We always have both in our house. Huh. I don't I, think, I don't remember the last time we had margarine in the house. I, I honestly don't. I used to butter. be, in, I, I used to be big into margarine, but for whatever reason, I got into butter. Now I love it. I buy like four sticks a week. Wow, that's yeah. a lot of butter. It is a okay? lot of butter. I'm okay, I'm good. Is your heart, does your heart hurt you? <laughs> Not at all. I feel great. You, you let us know if there's any numbness in your left side. I will. During the course of this podcast. You bet. I will. Anyway, we should probably get off the food topic. I'm getting hungry. <laughs> sure, sure wish I had a rice cake with some butter and peanut butter. You just wish you had a stick of butter on its own. I do, actually. Eat it like a chocolate bar. Just unwrap it and eat it no, like a deep, Snickers. No, deep fry it, right? It's like that Simpsons thing. Ooh. 
We take rich cream <laughs> butter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know how you would do that, but I bet it's good. I, I, actually, I think you can have that. I think that's a treat somewhere. It's fried, like breaded and fried balls of butter. Probably Scotland. Oh, they, they enjoy brilliant. the deep fried things. So, the deep fried Mars bar. So good. I've never had one. I'm the deep fried Mars bar. Yeah, I'm not a Mars bar guy. Well, you don't find yourself in Glasgow very often. <laughs> Is that where it's a thing? And it, it's I, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Huh. Talking out of my out of my ass. Yeah, but that was that was where it was. I initially heard of it being done in Scotland. Nice. Yeah. What you eating there? A Mars bar. <laughs> Here you know comes what you should accent. do with it? You said deep fry it. <laughs> oh, I would have loved to have heard that conversation. Yeah, I'm sure there was a few curse words. You think? Anywho, should we talk some music? I think we should. Let's move on to that. You have an interesting pick this week uh, because it was a song I did not know by an artist we all know. Yeah, it's funny. I, I After you had told me that, I went in and talked to my wife and said, Hey, Kim, do you know this song? And I played it for her. Never heard it before. She liked it, but she'd never heard of it. Right. And she asked, when's it from? Um, turns out it was from 1983. And she prides herself on her love of 80s music, but yeah, she'd never heard of it. <laughs> so... Yeah, the song I chose was is called uh, "Big Log." Shut it <laughs> by Robert Plant, the obviously the lead singer from Led Zeppelin. And I don't even know how I found the song initially because um, I remember way back when, when I was a kid. And 1982, Robert Plant released his first solo album. It was called Pictures at 11. And my cousin had a large poster on the wall. And all it was was a, a large poster that said Robert Plant. And I, for whatever reason, thought this was hilarious. So I <laughs> called him Robert Flower. Wow. Yeah. And wow, was my cousin ever upset. You're an idiot. Do you even know who that is? Because I, I didn't know anything about, like it was, dude, it was 82. I was nine years old. Yeah. I didn't know who Robert Plant or Led Zeppelin or any of that stuff was. So, but I sure thought it was funny yep. to call him Robert Flower and didn't really start listening to any Robert Plant stuff. You were, until... you were like a, you were like a comedy genius right oh, out of the womb. Yeah. Right there. <laughs> Um, I was picking up on stuff like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> and uh, I didn't start listening to Robert Plant stuff. I mean, I remember uh, he had a band for a short time. The Honey he, Drippers. The Honey Drippers. And that was kind of like an alias. And he even talks about going around and playing these super small clubs uh, as the Honey Drippers. And he would, they would drive up to to these clubs and he would have one of his guys go up and say, hey, who's the band? Who's playing tonight? If they happened to mention that it was Robert Plant, they would keep driving. 
Wow. And not do the show because he didn't, he just didn't want that notoriety. He didn't want people to know. He wasn't interested in playing to a bunch of Led Zeppelin fans. Yeah. Pull up a lighter and say, play Dazed and Confused. Right. Or Stairway to Heaven. He was pretty much sick of it. So, but he, but he had already done some solo stuff and he worked really, really hard to distance himself from Zeppelin. He didn't want to be that guy that showed up and did live shows and sang a bunch of Zeppelin songs. He wanted, he wanted to separate himself from Zeppelin and become Robert Plant, solo artist. And I don't know, I'm assuming if you haven't heard of Big Log, then you haven't heard of... Uh, any songs from the first album, Pictures at 11. But um, pretty pretty good stuff. Do you happen to know, did the album chart, did the song chart? Uh, yes. Um, there's a song, you're talking about Big Log? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so Big Log, uh, the album, um, The Principle of Moments, it actually had a, a number one in the U.S. A song called "Other Arms," and Does not ring a bell for me. No, and it it actually really didn't ring a bell for me until I listened to it again. Um, but it was a number one hit in in the U.S. And then you've probably heard the song "In the Mood." Yeah, um, that hit number four in okay. the U.S. And "Big Log" actually hit number six. Wow! So top ten hit. Top 10 hit in the U.S. Um, it also, oddly enough, was a top 10 hit in, in the Netherlands and in New Zealand. So in the U.K., it only hit number 11. Wow. Yeah. So he admittedly um, said that when he went solo and started doing these albums and stuff, that he really, really struggled. He struggled with the songwriting and he struggled with what he called studio etiquette. He said as Led Zeppelin, they were afforded the luxury of like a 24-hour studio. Right. They could literally just call up a sound guy at any moment, wake him up and go, hey, we feel like recording right now. And just kind of do whatever he wanted with, with no issues and you know, nothing to get in the way. Whereas when he became solo, he had to, he had to kind of earn his way through and, and he was paying for studio time. So... He had to make sure he made it count. And he talked about the other artists and getting the best out of them. Well, so. it's really funny because he had colossal superstar status yeah. with Led Zeppelin. And that didn't follow him into his solo career. Uh, and so that, yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. I mean, you, Dave Grohl, when Dave Grohl right. released the first Foo Fighters album, uh, nobody had any idea. No one knew if any interest would follow him out of Nirvana. Yeah, Nirvana was huge, but you know who who necessarily cared about the drummer's side project, yeah. the drummer's new project. I, yeah, um, certainly I nobody cared about Sweet Seventy Seven or whatever Chris Novoselic's <laughs> yeah poor guy Nirvana band. But imagine coming out of a band like like Zeppelin. And you're in a situation. But I also think he he was so adamant about distancing himself from that. And it wasn't because he didn't love his time in Zeppelin. It was because he was completely and totally heartbroken by the death of John Bonham. And, oh, and he never right. wanted to make 
Zeppelin music again without Bonham. Yeah. So he had sort of said that was, you know, that was amazing. I loved it. We had an amazing career, but I want to move forward and, and this is what I want to do with my life. It's not Led Zeppelin anymore if all four members aren't in place, so we will not continue. Yeah, which is pretty amazing, right? I mean, it's it's usually, it's kind of normal to think about that when you lose the lead singer. Yeah. But it, you figure but, a drummer, but a, a drummer as prolific as John Bonham. Sure. Uh, I can understand the, why he felt that way. The exact same situation occurred with Rush, obviously. When, yes. When Neil Peart made his announcement to retire, that was the end of Rush. They, the others had no interest in continuing without Peart's presence in the band, even though he was still alive at that point. Um, they did not want to continue without him. Uh, although the elephant in the room is <laughs> John Rutsey. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> No problem continuing without that dude. <laughs> no, in fact, that was a that was a forced thing, right? Like, yeah, not necessarily because of his playing, though. It was it had to do more with his health. They his were health, worried yeah. about, it, and he was a partier. Yeah, and so. I'm not sure he just fit in with the band uh, personally, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, possibly. He was more of a party guy, whereas Alex and Getty were a little more serious. Well, and yeah, his health his health issues were. Sp- weren't specific to partying, but they they saw the writing on the wall that yeah. it was going to get tragically worse yeah. if the partying was allowed to continue. Yeah, it's f- partying, talking about John Bonham, um, I don't know if you know the story surrounding his death. Yeah. Um, but he had the equivalent of 40 shots of vodka in his system. Yeah, those are Andre the Giant numbers. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, his body essentially um, shut down in trying to remove all that vodka from his system. <laughs> so yeah, pretty sad story. Because, I mean, the guy was incredible. He's, so, uh, generally speaking, he's in every conversation about the greatest drummers of all time, and he's always listed in the top three or the top five, if not number one. Yeah, so often it's Neil Peart, it's... Uh, John Bonham and Keith Moon. Keith Moon, yeah. So, <laughs> but as so, we've said before, Buddy Rich would list Buddy Rich as number one. <laughs> nice. Ah, that. Buddy Rich. <clears throat> I love that guy. So, so it's understandable that Robert Plant kind of said, "Meh, I want to move on," and whether I'm successful with this or not, uh, I don't want it to be because I'm Robert Plant of Led Zeppelin. It's, I want to be successful because I'm Robert Plant, because it's good music. Yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting. This song, uh, I love, I mean, this song is amazing. We should actually just kind of roll into giving it a listen. Yeah, for sure. And, and then we can talk about it after. I'd love, can't wait to hear your your take on it and, and what you thought of it uh, during the first listen. Yep. So, hey, Jakey. Yes, Darren. Play me tape!
Okay, that was uh, Big Log by Robert Plant. Um, as stated earlier, I had never heard this song. I had never heard of this song. In fact, my initial reaction was, he's not singing about his wang, is he? <laughs> You're such a jerk. <laughs> Although, uh, I thought I was going to get poop jokes out of it, so I guess a wang, oh, right. <laughs> a wang joke is a step up. Well, it is a rock star, so I assumed he'd go wang before he'd go <laughs> poop. Uh, I listened to it. In fact, no, I, I shouldn't say that. I watched the video on YouTube. No. The, the video, I knew it had to have been a chart hit of some kind because it has a fairly expensively produced music video. And that music video has been upgraded to 4k resolution or it was remastered oh. in 4k for high definition viewing so cool. if you go to youtube as i did and search that song the first thing that comes up is the official video and it's high resolution and it's been remastered and it's really interesting because as i said it's an expensively produced video uh money was spent on this thing so i knew it it couldn't have been some obscure song that went nowhere it had to have at the very least, charted on Billboard. Uh, I was kind of underwhelmed the first pass through. Um, the The song and the video starts off uh, with a drive through the desert, and Plant gets out of the car at a gas station in the desert, and he sort of walks through, you know, the the parking lot towards the main building of this diner gas station truck stop what have you and then i, I was just <laughs> you know it's 1983 i was going to ask what year just how young a man he was when this was recorded uh how what, what age he would have been because i swear to god the camera intentionally dips so that you get an ass shot nice presumably to appeal, appeal to the female fans well it's it's a fine song it's not what you would necessarily think of if you think about Robert Plant or if you think about side projects for Led Zeppelin or whatever. It is uh, sort of a long plodding song. The video itself is six and a half minutes long. And yeah. they, again, there are, there are bumpers on either side of the video that drive the narrative of whatever the story is that the video is telling. Um, so it's not heavy guitars it's not heavy drums there is what i initially thought was a spanish guitar playing it's not it's an electric guitar but it's played in a very spanish guitar style it's with the individually plucked notes there's a bizarre pervasive disco clap yep which is almost the only percussion on the song the the thing just sort of stretches out and ambles forward, and it you, you get this really funny, um, almost flat song. It's There's not a lot of peaks and valleys in the song. It just sort of trudges along, uh, which makes sense lyrically, but I'll get to that. Um, so it's a, it's a strange mishmash of instruments. It's an interesting choice of instruments, and his vocals are an interesting choice too because they're fairly subdued as well yeah. he doesn't stretch himself in the song <laughs> we know what he's capable of lyric uh, uh, vocally but yeah. he doesn't 
at any point go after anything that would remind you of the growl or the the range that his voice has lyrically it's an interesting song as well and it wasn't until i i sat down and looked more closely at the lyrics on about my third pass that the song started to connect for me when you look at it lyrically you understand well maybe not necessarily the disco claps specifically but you start to understand why the song is structured in the way that it is and why it has that almost hypnotic regularity to it the disco claps never cease throughout the entire song and the flamenco guitar blends in and there's synth in the background but it's very subdued and it's in the background and it all contributes to you know this road noise uh, i think unless i'm misinterpreting this um it, it contributes to this long stretching you know musical palette that is supposed to be i think reminiscent of of the road anyway i'll let you talk about the lyricism because it's really interesting once you know what it's about and also of interest is the fact that it's about something tangible and concrete and that's not the lyricism that plant was known for in led zeppelin a lot of the times he kind of got knocked for his lyricism in led zeppelin because people either don't care for tolkien yeah <laughs> or they don't care for the abstraction of some of his other things what's a there's a bustle in your hedgerow. What what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, so don't be alarmed are, now. These are really interesting lyrics that tie into very specific things, very specific feelings. Um but I'll let you I'll let you talk about it because I know that you know exactly what this song is about. Well, that's the funny thing. I don't there isn't an exact sort of meaning to this song and Robert Plant um said himself it's it is just sort of a feeling and he kind of explained it like i was always coming or going and he said that's kind of how life is right you're always coming or you're going somewhere and life on the road for a musician especially right mm-hmm. um and so he spoke about life on the road and traveling and you know being on what feels like an endless highway and the tie-in is that it's uh it's one of those things because it's you know every song is boy meets girl boy loses girl and it's kind of a search for love and you're you're traveling along and you're searching for this um this elusive love and that's kind of what he talks about in what the does song. And a, a really sorry. <laughs> no, I just wanted to say that the funny part of it is Big Log is never said in the song. Okay. Um, and, the word log is though. Um, is it not? I don't think so. Um, and well, the, but my my point was. The, the word big long big log has a very concrete meaning there's a, a very specific meaning to that term that i wasn't aware of and most people won't be most people won't be aware of what that refers to it it, it sounds very abstract but it's not it's very specific it's trucker lingo yeah it's it's the log books that truckers use to log the miles on the road right 
Exactly. And, and so I thought you'd love that. I know how much you love trucker lingo. I do. So yeah, I, it, it's to me, for. it's kind of a, it's kind of an unfortunate name. Right. You know, I love reading through the comments and stuff and people just can't help themselves. Oh, it's a song about a big dump. Oh, come on. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Really? Well, in 1983, it might have been more top of mind in terms of its meaning as a pop culture thing. Yeah, It maybe. might have been a more recognizable term. I don't know, It is though. not in 2010. I don't think I so. Mean, I only say that because, as we've said, uh, we said this in one of our previous episodes, that there was a time when southern culture and country culture and trucker culture yeah. specifically had a much bigger presence in the popular culture in the zeitgeist and that time has passed was it a known term then maybe more so I would yeah argue maybe probably more so than it is now people just seem to know uh the ins and the outs of the lingo a little bit better most of us only sort of knew the catchphrases what's your 20 good buddy Break your one nine, you know. <laughs> ten four. <laughs> ten four. Uh, I never really understood or knew much beyond those catchphrases, but it might have been a, a better known. Yeah, possibly. Reference. It is a slang, a slang term amongst truckers. Um, why he chose that as the name of the song? There's a few theories. His again, he sort of mentioned that. Um. It's just a it's just a driving reference, you know, a, a long a long haul trucker sort of thing, and spending your life on the road. And it is a great road song. It's a yeah. great driving song. And yeah. although it's not you know heavy guitars and him wailing and and the things that you you knew him for in Zeppelin, uh, the song has an incredible sort of vibe to it. It's super chill and. For me, it's definitely goosebumps when I listen to it. This is one of my well, favorites, dude. Like, this is like top 10 for me. Really? Um, I come back to this song, wow, weekly because I love it so much. It's definitely my favorite song from Robert Plant's solo work. And... Well, it seems, it seems as though a, a bunch of his solo work was such a radical departure from Zeppelin that he, most of the stuff that I know from his solo work, and I don't know very much at all, so feel free to blast me and tell me how wrong I am. But most of the stuff that I know is laid back, is more mellow. It's not the hard rock of Led Zeppelin. It's its own thing. The Honey Drippers, the, the, the big single was a cover version and it was very slow paced. It was a, it was a love ballad specifically. Yeah. Yeah. He, he seems to like music like this. Um, so in talking about something, and you, you already mentioned this, but uh, the hand clap yeah. in the song, uh, it's just a drum machine. Yeah. Oh, that's, absolutely. That, that's and just a no, TR-808 drum machine. There's uh, no question about it. You can tell immediately when it starts that it's, it's I, I use the phrase disco clap because I think that's how it was labeled on the machine. Itself, yeah, yeah, as a, it is. As a disco clap. Yeah. Uh, which is an odd choice for the song, but it... For me, anyway, it seems to work really, really well. The guitar in this song is phenomenal to me. The, the melody and the softness of the guitar is incredible. Um, the, the interesting thing about 
this album and the previous album. And it's unfortunate that they did use a drum machine on this song because for, I believe, five of the songs on this album and at least six of the songs on his previous solo album, um, the drummer is Phil Collins from Genesis. Really? Yeah. And it's a, it's kind of an interesting story because, you know, they were looking obviously for a, a drummer, a studio drummer, musician, and Phil Collins, they, they had a conversation. I'm not sure how they met up, but Phil Collins kind of went to Robert Plant and said, Hey, John Bonham was like my hero. He's the reason I'm a drummer, huge influence. I would be absolutely honored to play drums for you on your solo album. Wow. And he toured with them as well for a big part of the, of his tours. That's incredible. I had no idea. And Robert Plant credits Phil Collins with um, improving the albums because he was so demanding in the studio of, okay, guys, get this together. Let's go. And being such a professional um, I mean, can you imagine? And and at the time, like, I I think in the air tonight came around came out around this time. Like, can you imagine the fame? And Phil Collins wanted no. And that was post Peter Gabriel. That was yes. that was Phil Collins solo had had reached critical yeah. peak. Genesis Phil was big. With Genesis was at its height, I think. Yeah. So I I I, I mean. Robert Plant considers himself super lucky to have somebody like that on the drums. No doubt. Um, and when he didn't have Phil Collins on the drums, it was the drummer from Jethro Tull. Oh, oh my God. That was playing for him. I, I, the name escapes me. I don't remember. But uh, yeah, so he had some pretty good musicians playing with him. It is amazing to me that somebody like Phil Collins just kind of puts himself out there. But I, I totally get it. Like if you're a musician and you know, you know, there's uh, obviously there's influences in your musical career and somebody comes forward from that and says, Hey, I need a drummer. Uh, it doesn't matter who you are or how famous you are. I'm assuming you're probably going to say, Hey, I'd love to be a part of that. Everyone has uh, the capacity to become a little starstruck apparently yeah and it's funny to think about that right like here here's a giant superstar he's already had tremendous success with peter gabriel genesis and he's starting to have tremendous success of his own and yet i mean to even go out on tour like here's here's a musical giant in robert plant and you know oh my god is that phil collins on drums like that had to be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and even for the both of them. So, so speaking of, of going to a show, so I went to see Robert Plant. Uh, I think it was 1990 for the album that he released called Manic Nirvana. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Do you remember that album? Yeah. And he was playing at Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto. And I was super stoked to go see the show. You know, at the time, I loved that album. He had a song called Tie-Dye on the Highway. A great, great song. And it, and it used little sound bites from Woodstock. Um, so it kind of felt like he was looking back a little bit. 
you know, at yeah. the 60s and, and well, things it like had, that. It had a, to me anyway, it had a really recognizable album cover that was, I don't know when, it, it was, it's a photo collage or it's a, it's a double exposure photo, I think, or something like that. It's, it's him superimposed on himself. Uh, and it, I, it feels like, or it looks like it was a younger an older photo of him younger, or at least he's dressed more in line with how he dressed in Zeppelin. Uh, yeah, that yeah. album, Hurting Kind? Yep, yep. That was the, that was the hit on that album? That I was think? the hit, yeah. Good song. I like that song. Uh, so I enjoyed that album. Um, so I thought, let's go see him. So Johnny Sands and I, uh, super excited. Um, Black Crows opened up. Oh, wow. Um, but it was one of those situations where the opening band uh, gets the crappy sound set up. Oh. They kind of stuffed him at the front of the stage. And they weren't particularly memorable. Really? And they had a lot of big songs at the time. And yet, meh, whatever. Yeah, they're okay. And then uh, the other notable thing from that show... And I had pretty good seats. I remember sitting, you know, half decent, kind of off to the side, but I could see the stage fairly well. Uh, before Robert Plant came out, they played a few songs from the band Dread Zeppelin. Remember those guys? <laughs> of course. Yeah. Which I thought was super cool, right? It was like Robert Plant had sort of embraced this, this thing that, you know, these guys that covered... Well, explain, explain who they are and what their, what their take was on Led Zeppelin. Uh, I honestly don't know who they were. I'm assuming they were, um, some reggae artists and they decided to take Zeppelin songs and sing them in a reggae style. Yeah. Much slower, much, uh, obviously very recognizable as reggae songs, but really, really good. Yeah. You know, like anytime I heard anything, I loved it because the songs are so recognizable. Um, but done in that style you know, so different from the originals. It was really good. So I really enjoyed, and it really stands out for me, that that music was playing before Robert Plant came out. So he comes out, and, I mean, dude, it's Robert Plant. Wow, the lead singer Led Zeppelin. This is going to be amazing, blah, blah, blah. I didn't even think I got out of my seat. I was so bored. It did nothing for me. Wow. Yeah. It was really disappointing. It was not a great show. He didn't sound particularly good. I mean, Maple Leaf Gardens is a, is a tough place to play. Having said that, I, I have seen shows there where the sound was excellent. Hmm. Uh, I, don't it, think I, saw, I don't think I ever saw a single show there. Uh, I saw hockey there. <laughs> yeah. But I, I don't think I saw a single concert like, there. I saw Lenny Kravitz there. Okay. And the sound was spectacular. So I know it was possible, but... Um, it just didn't happen on that it night. It just didn't happen on that night. Things were bouncing around. And maybe it just was because there was some sampling in his stuff, and it was kind of, you know, a little bit all over the place. And maybe that's why it didn't work particularly well. But, yeah, I came away going, Meh, well, I don't need to see him again. Uh, uh Again, did one John of those Sands, disappointments. Did John Sands have the same reaction? Yeah, yeah, we kind of had the same. We had the same reaction that I think it just didn't live up to the hype. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, again, a pretty big figure in yeah. the music that you had been listening to your entire life almost at that point. Right. So that that's <laughs> that's a lot to live up to. And maybe I went into it as well thinking that we were maybe going to get some Zeppelin. But there was nothing. Yeah. Dread, Dread Zeppelin was it. Wow. And maybe I was kind of hoping for it and, and let down because of that as well. But yeah, it just wasn't a great show. And uh, I think he's a decent showman. But he, I, I left that show and I don't know that he was particularly old at the time but it kind of felt that way that he was sort of past his prime and uh like, like he was tired from before. maybe he was tired <laughs> from all the time he spent on the road <laughs> Fill, filling up that big log <laughs> maybe nice nice well, but, I, but i mean again to bring it back to the song and to bring it back to uh the the meaning of that of that term you know it's not just uh, a nod to the road. It's it's a it's a nod to long hours spent on the road. And, yeah. and again, there's there's a little bit of ambiguity to uh, the individual lyrics. There's certainly that sense of it's the road as a metaphor for a search for love, but you could also read it as a love of the road. There yes. are a number of ways in which you could interpret it, and you could certainly interpret it as someone who has spent a lifetime on the road. And is in love with that life, and is in love with the road itself. There's a lot of people. Um, when I pulled up the lyrics, there were a lot of people that were commenting on the lyrics, and a lot of those people were, or claimed to be, because it's the internet, and there's no law saying you have to tell the truth on the internet. <laughs> uh, people claiming to be truckers themselves, saying this really strikes a chord. This really speaks to me about when I knew I was done driving. I was done driving. I needed to get off the road. Yeah. And this is how this song feels to me. This song feels like someone saying, when I'm done with the road, I, I need to get away from it. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, it's funny. I, I, I never really thought of it as a driving song or a road song initially. It just had a great sound. I, I loved sort of the, the slow, sort of chill vibe that the song had. And only when I went in and started to focus on the lyrics did I realize, oh, this is right up my alley. This is a road song. Um, but you think of road songs like Running Down a Dream by Tom Petty. They've got that sort of fast pace. Yeah. Them, and you want to put your foot on the gas pedal, whereas this is the opposite. You want to take your foot off the gas and kind of this enjoy is, the ride a little bit. This is a long, straight highway. Yeah. but Where the features don't change much through the window. Yeah. It, it's, but... I, I, fittingly, the, the, the video takes place in the desert. Yeah. Yeah. But it's funny. I also take away from it, like, yes, it's a long road. And yes, it can be boring. But, um, you know it's not that bad. Like things could be worse. Look around a little bit. And I find myself trying to do that more and more on long, boring drives. Don't just focus on what's ahead. Kind of look around you and, and pick up on things because he, he does. There's a lot of imagery in the song 
Um, so that's kind of what I took from it, whether it's real or not, I don't know, but that's my take. Yeah. Um, and again, it's not something, I don't know that I've ever even listened to it in the car while I was driving. Uh, it's more of a song that I like to put headphones on for and just sort of chill to. Right. Well, uh, which is funny because for me, headphone songs are songs where I really want to listen to all the fine detail in the song where I want to hear everything there is to hear and uh, not, this isn't a, a, a dig, but there's not as much detail maybe in this, in this song as I would think of. It's much more about mood. It's much more about it is. the mood. The guitar, like I said, it's, it, I initially assumed it was an, a Spanish guitar played acoustically. It's not. Um, on the Wait. second or third listen, I realized it's an electric guitar, but it's, it's, on, uh, uh, it's just a clean-sounding electric guitar. It, does, it probably has not been filtered or, or pedaled in any way. Um, it's undistorted. It's just a clean electric guitar sound. I don't know what the guitar would be, but it's it's just a very clean sound. I believe it's just a Fender Stratocaster. Yeah, but it's a great yeah. sound. And, Absolutely. And clearly, the guitarist is quite skilled. Skilled, yeah, no doubt. Because it's beautiful and it's clean and it's yeah, yeah. It's a. Uh, it's a bit of a surprise. I, I kind of thought that you would, because it doesn't seem to me like you particularly enjoyed the song. Oh, and, uh, I didn't initially. I do now. So was it a case of going into it looking more for Zeppelin? No, not in, not in the slightest. Um, it just struck me as, what the hell am I listening to? It's just a very, very strange song it's a long plodding uh song with no hook no peaks no valleys there's not on the surface there's not much to it and it wasn't until i really started to listen for the lyrics and once i understood the lyrics or had a sense of the lyrics then it clicked with me um it's not. I don't think it's going to be a favorite of mine, but I quite enjoy the song now. But I needed to get past the initial hump of what am I listening to and why yeah, is right. why is this of particular interest? My first reaction when listening the first time was, well, I can't wait to hear what he's got to say about this one because I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea what the appeal might have been. I had no idea if there was maybe an anecdote that went with this song. But on my initial listen, I thought there's nothing particularly interesting or there's just not much to it so uh, again it took me a a moment or two it took me a couple of listens to come to a place where i thought oh oh that's really interesting it's interesting in its own way it's just it's not a grabber it's a sleeper yeah yeah i would say so too Uh, it's a sleeper once i came to it and once i got to that point i i quite enjoy it i think it's a really really interesting song now um but I needed to get over the hump. Right. It's so in trying to, (laughs) trying to learn a little bit about the song and going in and listening to uh, Robert Plant speak, you know, a man in his seventies, he, um, it was really funny because I couldn't follow him when he was speaking because 
everything he talks about is is uh it's the whole grandpa simpson thing talking about the onion on his belt <laughs> right it's all nonsensical stuff to me i mean obviously it makes sense to him but he's you know he's talking right we're in the studio with bob jones and bob and i it, we used to go to this little sweet shop around the corner and, <laughs> and i'm like he lost me very quickly and, and he starts naming these names and naming these places yeah and putting in these little things and i'm like honestly i was waiting for him to say you know and and we used to wear an onion on our belt it was the yeah. style of the time it's, it's a little inside baseball it it's yeah it's a little bit difficult for an outsider to get any sense of what the hell he's talking about without knowing the and names was, of all it, these people involved and he knows the names of these people involved yeah. and other other people in the industry might know the the names of these engineers or producers or what have you maybe they're members of other bands but he certainly doesn't let you in and share the the backstory with you no no it, it's one of those yeah it's all inside stuff so I I was found myself as I'm listening to it, just kind of drifting off, going, "Holy crap!" Would you just get to the point here? <laughs> and and the guilt associated with that for me, this is Robert Plant. I should be hanging on his every word. But <laughs> Quiet, he's... everyone! An old man is talking. <laughs> exactly, but he's just like, oh boy, not the greatest uh, storyteller. So yeah, it it's interesting, and I do recommend you go in and and give it a listen. And, uh, I'm sure he has some other amazing stories, but talking about how this song came together and <laughs> people just left me. I was no further ahead. 15, 20 minutes in, you know, I'm like, okay, well, thanks for nothing. <laughs> and if I can't get it from you, where am I going to get it from? Yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, it's funny. It just <clears throat> it makes me wonder if... <laughs> we're going to be the same when we're older. We're that way now. Shut it. <laughs> yeah, maybe we are. We just start talking about stuff. And we you try not. We've probably not gone to on too long inside. already. No, never. <laughs> <clears throat> never. So, yeah, it's he's a super interesting guy. There's no doubt. He's at, a, he's at an amazing career, both with Zeppelin and solo. I think he's solidified himself as Robert Plant, the solo artist. Um. And I think you can separate those two things. It doesn't have to be, oh, you know, that guy from Zeppelin has a solo career. Um, he's been pretty successful. Lots of great songs. Uh, it's worth going through the catalog. Well, looking through his his album covers, looking through the back catalog of his solo career, um, I can't, off the top of my head, name a lot of songs, but every single one of those album covers is comes immediately back to me oh yeah i've seen all those album covers before i know them um not just the the manic nirvana album cover but the one that immediately preceded that one uh i, I remember seeing in record stores for years that it just it, to me is um very in, endemic to a time and a place and uh very recognizable to me and most of his albums are I, he he had enough clout at least um, enough spillover from Led Zeppelin to to get interest and to get um, a sizable fan base. Whether he wanted a Led Zeppelin fan base or not, he got it. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he's got a lot of good songs. You should the the one that I really like is from his first album, kind of his first 
hit song is called Burning Down One Side. And it's really good. Yeah, I don't know it. I, or at uh, least I don't know the title. And then there's another good one, Heaven Knows, uh, Ship of Fools. I'm sure you know the song Tall Cool One. Of course. Yeah, that's one I know. Uh, and then you had mentioned Hurting Kind. So he's got some good stuff. Well worth a listen. Uh, if you're, even if you're not a Led Zeppelin fan, because it's certainly not Zeppelin-esque. No. No, none of it seems to be. So he, uh, he certainly separated himself from that. And then I know he got into some stuff, and I've never actually gone and listened to it. But uh, he did an album with Alison Krauss. And standards yeah or or jazz jazz vocals what would that be well she's like a almost like a bluegrass sort of uh so i thought but um yeah i've never listened to it 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 never seemed to to uh pique my interest enough to go and listen to it but I, i know it was big for a while and a lot of people talked about it so it's probably worth a listen um i i barely even know anything by alison krauss i'm sure i've heard it but i couldn't name anything so but an interesting again like he was always sort of pushing the envelope uh for himself to to do interesting things and keep himself interested and i do think he was trying to run away from zeppelin although by the mid-90s by the mid-90s, he had reformed with Page for one album, right? No Quarter? Yeah. yeah. And the, the rumor at the time uh, was that there was a lot of bad blood at some point because Page had formed Coverdale Page with David Coverdale from yep. Whitesnake. And a lot of people felt that David Coverdale's vocals were very reminiscent, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, yeah, oh, yeah. of of Robert Plant's vocals. And so Plant took it as a slight that um, he could simply be replaced by a sound alike. I, I don't know. That was the rumor. I don't know if there was ever any truth to that. Yeah, I don't know. They, I don't remember they, hearing anything like that. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, they Clearly, they came back together in 94 or 95 or whatever for no quarter. But yeah. I don't... Um, I, I don't know. I've never, I've never read anything about that specifically. That was, that was rumor that might have been school rumor. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's too bad. There was never a, a real sort of Zeppelin room. I know they did the one there. They did Live a show. Um, they reformed for Live Aid. Yeah. With, I think with Phil Collins is on drums. And then there was another one in the 2000s. Um, and I think Jason Bonham was on drums. Right. What was that? Yeah, it was... Like a live, uh, I can't remember it now. So, sorry for bringing it up. (laughs) (laughs) I should be able to name it, but I can't. Uh, That wasn't the Kennedy Kennedy Center honors where they were being honored for lifetime achievement and um, Hart performed Stairway to Heaven. No. Do you remember that event? I do. Have you seen Hart performing that? Yes. Holy Lord. Yeah. I liked it monstrous rendition of that yeah, song. Yeah, I like that. I, I mean that in a good way. That is not a diss. That no, is, no. It's an incredible vocal performance for that song. Uh, she has a set of pipes. It's yeah. incredible. Oh, yeah, and Wilson. And she hasn't seemed to have lost much of that 
over time. It's staggering. Yeah, I saw Heart at the amphitheater. I'm a little jealous of that. When? Uh, had to be around uh, eight to ten years ago. Oh, wow. Okay, so semi-recently. They opened for Def Leppard. Right. And Heart was amazing. And again, I have no doubt whatsoever. I felt bad for them because, you know, again, being the opening band, they're kind of shoved to the front of the stage and they don't get nearly the the same sort of stage show. And they're playing the sun even hasn't even gone down yet and it's obviously oh, an wow. outdoor show at the Ouch. at the amphitheater. So it it feels very amateurish. And then Hart comes out and just destroys like amazing show. And at that point, you feel like you just got two for the price of one because Def Leppard was bloody brilliant. Right. Um, so, yeah, you come away going, wow, Def Leppard was incredible. But, man, so was Hart. You know, I'd like to see them on their own. So, yeah, um, surprisingly fantastic. And, you know, you know that Ann Wilson's got an incredible voice. But, um, yeah, I mean, what a perfect vocalist to do a Robert Plant song but it's funny yep. female singer doing a Robert Plant that's that's the kind of range that he had yeah so yeah, yeah incredible pretty amazing vocalist anyway we should probably look to wrap things up absolutely do you want to uh, do you want to give us the email address yeah uh, play me tape podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, all one word. Feel free to send us a message. Let us know uh, what kind of dummies we sounded like on our Bob and Doug McKenzie <laughs> uh, episode. But uh, yeah, shoot us a message. Let us know what you think. If you have an idea for the show, let us know. All right. Well, thanks again for joining us. If you like what you hear, please consider following us and, uh, and tell everyone you know. Until next time, Keep listening to the music that means something and always try to listen with an open mind and communication.